Are you looking to learn more about investing in the central Indiana real estate market? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast with TNH Realty, where we discuss all things related to investing in the central Indiana real estate market. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Tallman with TNH Realty. We are a residential property management company that services the central Indiana market. Today's guest is Evan Manship. Evan, along with his brother Clay, own Midwest Cash Offer here in Indianapolis. And you know, Evan, you two have quite a name in the out-of-state investing community. You're regular contributors to an Indianapolis out-of-state investing face it group. You guys have an annual conference that I want to dig into a little bit now. And so I guess I'll say, I'll go ahead and make the proclamation. I guess you, I consider you guys like the Indianapolis's version of the real estate rock stars. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks, man. Uh, appreciate you having me. And teenagers, obviously, you guys are right down the road. You're good neighbors, good stewards of our time, and awesome resource. So thanks for the invite. Sure. So I know Clay was supposed to be here. You have a, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a twin brother that you do business with. He couldn't be here, but that's that's okay. You guys are identical, right? As, it, as identical as it gets. And for those that don't know, Clay and I, identical might be an understatement. We've got, our, we share an office together, own our company together and the same school, study the same thing, both real estate guys, both married blonde nurses. It just goes on and on and on. So yes, identical to be very polite and succinct about it. Yeah. So who's, who's older? Clay is older and he likes to rub my nose in that a little bit, but I figured I get the, the looks and the, uh, and the smarts so he can have his age all he wants. Right. Um, yeah. So he says his regrets he can be here, but duty calls. Yeah. So I guess we can say you're the younger, better looking brother, right? Is that, is yeah. That- I'm the loud mouth of the two of us. So maybe I'm better fitted for a podcast anyway. <laughs> right. Well, thanks again for being here. You know, I, I'm anxious to get into your background and learn a little, little more about you and your, and your brother. But before we do that, I wanted to jump in and get your opinion on a couple of different uh, articles. We'd like to jump into some numbers here and go over kind of what's happening in the central Indiana market when we release these things. And there's a couple of things. One was a bigger pockets article that listed Indianapolis in their top 10 of cash flowing markets. This isn't new. I mean, we've been in there, I guess, for years and years. Uh, We're number eight now. Just a quick rundown. Detroit is like a an anomaly on this list. Their rent to their rent to price ratio is more than double the next market. But Detroit's number one, then Shreveport, Shreveport, Louisiana, Cleveland, Orland Park, Illinois, Macon, Georgia, Akron, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, then Indianapolis. And we're followed by Philadelphia and Milwaukee. So any thoughts on this uh, that you want to get into, Evan? I mean, I don't know if it's news to you or you find any value in this, but I just thought I'd review it because it's something that, you know, Indianapolis made some news here. Yeah, of course. I mean, I can just give over my candid thoughts on some of this stuff. And again, I've not read the article, so I don't know what, how, I guess, how the calculations are made, how, what level of subjectivity is into it. But subjectivity is the name of the game. And I tell all our investors the same thing. I mean, if you can find value in something that isn't objective, I mean, any, anyone can look at price and look at rents and say, okay, here's the rent, rent, you know, rent to price ratio. But really, subjectivity is where you make all the money. And where I believe, I, again, just hearing some of that list, a lot of those lists are what I call uh, old river towns, old river cities, industrial revolution type deals. And Indy seems to be the anomaly on that list, at least, again, from what I remember of that list. So I like newer infrastructure. I like newer construction. I think everyone does. 
God bless Shreveport and Cleveland and Detroit, but old, old ass towns. And there's a reason that they're old. There's a reason that inventory exists there. There's a reason why prices are low and the reason why they're on this list. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to talk people through supply and demand, but that's my suspicion as to why that's on the list. As opposed to maybe a market like, I mean, I like Topeka, Kansas a lot. And that's something not a lot of people talk about Topeka. Uh, similar situation, the different side of the coin, just people aren't talking about it much. And it's it's a newer <laughs> a newer thing, comparatively speaking to its neighbor, Kansas City and whatever else. So um, I can go on and on about that. But in my opinion, uh, the reason people like Indianapolis is it's newer. It's essentially a goat pasture between a bunch of old river cities that turned into a capital city and said, hey, this is uh, now newer than everything else. So I went to school in Cincinnati. It's interesting to see these signs of, you know, Cincinnati incorporated 1782. Uh, you know, 50 years before Indiana was a state. And it right. just goes, goes to show, you know, kind of how different for how close these things are, how different they can be. So my candid thoughts on that list are congratulations. If you like exclusively talking rent to price ratios on different cities, I throw Louisville, uh, Kentucky in the mix as well. We do some work in Louisville. You're going to see these massive through the, through the roof, you know, price to rent ratios that exist there. But for the same reasons I just discussed, there's a massive amount of inventory, old infrastructure, prices are cheap. Right. So Use caution when just using that metric alone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people flooded our market years ago and they're still coming to our market for cash flow. And, yep. you know, we, we still offer it. It's harder, but it's it's still there. But okay, let's move on to some MyBor statistics. I shot you a screenshot of this last night, but you know, we're seeing some changes in the last two or three months. I look at these every month and so year over year, we're still doing well. I mean, if you look at our median sales price, it's up 12.6% from August of 2021 to August 2022. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're dropping the last three months. So July, we from July to August, we were down 3.1%. We'd hit 300,000 in central Indiana. That's the 16 counties that MyBor kind of represents. We'd hit 300,000 as our median sale price a couple of months ago, and now we're below that. But you know, other signs, you know, closed sales are down from this time last year. New listings are down. Days on market are up a little bit. I mean, it's, it's still relative. It's 10. It's 10. You know, it's a, that's a crazy number. 10 it's down to 10. <laughs> yeah. But um, just, I guess, kind of give me your overall thoughts on these Nothing numbers too. and just the market in general. Yeah. My, I get this question every day, as do as your, your team. Yep. Um, you know, where are we headed? What do you think? And uh, frankly, it's something that we're excited to hear your guys' thoughts. Obviously, you know it, you know, just have a better pulse on it than we do, especially the my board side of it, uh, the listing side of it. We've seen a little bit of, I don't want to say a fall off, but certainly maybe uh, people kicking their feet up a little bit, be a little bit more relaxed about making offers, implementing, you know, do or die strategies, let's close, sight unseen, next couple days type deal. You know, I'm a greasy wholesaler at the end of the day, so I still see a lot of this cutthroat stuff by nature of what we find, but be a little bit a little more conservative, pull, hold their cards a little bit closer to the chest and what their expectations are. And I'm an unbridled red state capitalist, so I don't want to get too wildly political here, but it's a, you know, people stop printing money and the interest rates go up and here we are. So I think it's exclusively the fault of the United States government or the Federal Reserve or whatever. But when interest rates go up, obviously prices go down. I think, you know, we're starting to trail some of the coastal markets that have already seen a little bit more of a fall off than, than we see here in the Midwest. So a lot of the reason, to your point, Jeremy, about people coming here for cash flow and it still exists is people like Indy because it's, I mean, you and I know better than anybody. It's it's steady Eddie, it's vanilla, it's boring, right? It's a, right. It's a cornfield. It's now a capital city. 
you don't get that in, in Vegas, Phoenix, uh, LA, Miami, Boston, whatever, right? You're more volatile in coastal markets because prices are through the moon. So while we've seen a little bit of a, a normal atmosphere instead of a psychopathic, let's buy everything appetite like we have over the last 12 months, still good business on our end. We're, we're not seeing any slowdown of, of true traffic, just maybe the attitudes from how long it takes to close, how long it takes to offer, that type of thing. Right. Yeah, I think that's well put. I think you got some good points in there. We're, you know, I've talked to some investors that are like just chomping at the bit now. They're like, this is the time I can buy because they couldn't buy before. Right. And maybe they're coming in with cash. Maybe they're coming in with better interest rates than, you know, Joe investor off the street can get. But it's a buying opportunity now. Our brokerage is getting some stuff bought. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're seeing it's, it's an interesting market. I mean, it's not like you said, we have a lot of people that are like you mentioned, putting their feet up and not sure what to do, just kind of waiting and seeing. But I think there's a lot of opportunity out there now and the numbers are showing it. I mean, homes are sitting a little longer. And so I think if you're if you're a buyer and you want to buy long-term, interest rates are still really low. I mean, let's just face it. There are a lot, you know, I don't know how long you've been in this game. We'll get into that uh, later. But, you know, I've talked about this a lot when we first started, you know, 8% was a good rate to buy a home, you know, and I've had guys on here that 16% was a good rate when they started buying. So relatively speaking, it's still a, a really good, affordable market in, in my perspective. But okay, let's move on. I, I want to get into your story a little bit. So tell me more about Midwest Cash Offer. If I'm an investor, Evan, what do you offer me as an investor here in central Indiana? Well, where to, where to start? We're asking these big, robust questions. I feel like I'm only answering part of them. Yeah. So uh, Clay and I own Midwest Cash Offer. That's the marketing engine for identifying properties. Any jerk can be a wholesaler. You know, if you've seen Ratatouille with, it's a Disney movie. Oh, yeah. Anyone can cook is how that goes. If anyone has kids, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Anyone can cook. Anyone can be a wholesaler. Literally any jerk with a lip, uh, an internet connection and a laptop anymore can, can wholesale properties. It is not hard. I mean that very, in its most literal sense, it is not difficult to do. It's extremely difficult to do well. Much like being a good real estate broker. So we started Midwest Cash Offer in 2014 to essentially be a deal procurement piece of Mainstay Property Group, which is our parent entity. Mainstay was our holding company. It's who we built our, our we are we, we used to flip a lot of houses. We built some new construction stuff. We used to broker some hard money and they, all the real estate uh, you know jargon. Uh, Mainstay did it, and Midwest Cash Offer was the marketing engine to find more properties to push to mainstay to figure out what to do with them. So we started Midwest Cash Offer exclusively to find inventory. That's it. And that's what it continues to do today. We've got uh, 18 folks on staff, a handful of sales guys, and all they do all day long is identify inventory, identify property properties, projects for you, the investor, whether it's a buy and hold, flip, vacant lot, you name it, Indianapolis, Louisville, Cincinnati, and Lexington, Kentucky. So we do a lot volume-wise. We'll, we'll do three or 400 deals a year that we buy for A, we sell for A plus B. So uh, I joke to everyone, if you come across my group, we get the chance to talk or earn your business. Uh, my group is a glorified pawn shop. We buy for A, we sell for A plus B, exactly as is. So if you're ever in the market for uh, the gold chain of real estate or a, car stereo, a used car stereo system of real estate, we'd love the chance to talk with you. Right. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, so, so you guys procure properties, you obviously have it in a list which we're going to get into a little bit later. And you send these properties out and you try to be the middleman to get these these deals done, basically, right? 
Yeah, that's right. And we've, uh, I'm, I, maybe I should slow it down a little bit. Wholesale, the, the term of what my group does is wholesale real estate. You know, it's much like, you know, the investor, I, I try and dumb everything down to caveman language. Investor want deal. Uh, and I, I, I talk about it just like a gallon of milk, right? If, if Evan want milk, Evan go to Meyer and buy milk. Oftentimes investors can't find the deals that they want to make it sense for their portfolio on the market. You know, they have to compete right. against hedge funds. They have to compete against mom and pop home buyers who don't care about the numbers of everything. So they have to find other ways to do it. So uh, in lieu of going directly to Meyer to buy my milk, I'm offering a way to go get milk directly from the farmer down the road that has a cow and a pasteurizing machine. So I offer a way to kind of go around Meyer and identify some new value and maybe going, I'll be in a different way and it may seem a little bit shady, but it's the same milk. Right, right. Okay, so tell me, you know, you, you know this, I think, but T&H is my name and my brother-in-law's name, Tallman and Hallberg. And we... Sounds like a badass law firm now that you say it that way. <laughs> exactly. But uh, we coincidentally married twin sister, Scott and I did. And, you know, so we didn't, we didn't know each other. I, he got married before I did. And then I was introduced, I met my wife and then he, she introduced me to her sister and then Scott. So we're, we built a business, you know, back started in 2000 and bought rentals and it kind of ebbed and morphed into being a property manager. But I'm just interested in the challenges that you faced of building a business with your brother and your twin brother. So what are, what are the challenges and I guess advantages to doing that? Well, I'm, I'm glad you said advantages just the same way because while there are challenges to anyone that starts a business, every business partnership is going to have its yell, yell, drag out fights. And that's exactly what we've had many times. But the advantage is he's my brother. He can't go anywhere. And the curse is if we have one of these that's going down, I still got to see him at Christmas and Thanksgiving. So, you know, yeah. it's a... <laughs> It's a double-edged sword, I guess, from getting started with Clay. But uh, I tell everyone the same thing. Like we we started, we bought our first property. Mainstay Property Group acquired its first property in October of 2013, 1226 Oxford Street uh, on the near east side of Indianapolis. Yeah, we bought. We spent twenty four thousand dollars on that house, and we conventionally financed it. So my mortgage payment was less than my phone bill. Uh, I still have that same phone, by the way. It died last night, so I. I've had that same phone for what they're coming on nine years. Finally, one of wow. them. Um, and uh, bought that for so anyway. My phone bill was seventy bucks. My mortgage payment was like sixty-eight bucks. That's the only reason I remember how much either one of them was. But I, the, the long story short is, we bought in twenty thirteen. I am a spoiled millennial real estate turd that hasn't really seen anything go kaboom yet. I was eighteen when the whole financial collapse of 08, 09 happened, so I was old enough to understand, but not old enough to lose money. And so when this whole thing started to turn around and banks said, okay, the world isn't ending, I was sitting there, first guy in line saying, I'd like a loan. And that's how we, we started our first acquisition, if you will. So Clay and I have kind of been uh, spoiled from a market cycle perspective. We recognize that. But at the same time, obviously, you know, it's been a challenge for us getting on the same page for what we wanted to do. We started buying in 2013 and we started, uh, we amassed maybe 80 or 90 rentals at one point, you know, uh, from... As soon as we started Mainstay or uh, Midwest Cash Offer, you know, we were finding deals left and right. It was 2014. We couldn't raise capital fast enough. So we mm -hmm. started to raise capital. We started to do all these other things. And, you know, having 80, 90 properties while you're working a full-time job with a twin is uh, it's tough to try and, you know, get everything done. So that was a disaster. But we've kind of, as we went on with, as time kind of went on, we delineated our responsibilities where Clay was solely in charge of marketing. Clay was going to find those deals 
and I was going to find what to do with them. And that was, you know, 2015, I guess we started that, that delineation and it really worked out nicely with, we could, mm -hmm. I could figure out if we wanted to flip or hold or wholesale and all Clay was doing was focusing on really getting our systems razor sharp on the marketing side of things. And that's really where we, we found a sweet spot with you handle X, I handle Y, we stay in our swim lanes and that's how we've structured our business. Yeah, I think it's it's so important to find your lane, right? And understand your roles and understand who does what and and then trust each other to do that. That's That can be hard to do, you know? A million percent, especially when you have two egos in the room. And again, I got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very well aware of my uh, deficiencies and Clay is just the same way. So it's, it's nice to sit there and say, wow, like, you know, keep, keep, keep keeping my mouth shut is tough, especially on things I'm super passionate about. But when you, when you're able to recognize your, your, your weaknesses and just rock them, you know, I'm not good at this. I don't like meetings. I don't like marketing. I don't like the funnels and the systems like flat out does not interest me. It's nice to have a built-in clone of yourself to go through and handle that stuff. And that's exactly what I've kind of lucked into. So my background is in investors and helping people and sales and kind of the art side of all this while Clay is the, the nerd that just wants to hang out and push his buttons. I don't know. All right. So tell me, you guys grew up, you're South Siders, you told me, right? Center Grove, yes, sir. Center Grove. Okay. And then you went to, if, if I remember right, you went to Xavier together. Went to Xavier and... together, yes, sir. Yeah, what what did you guys study at Xavier? So, uh, great question. Clay and I naturally studied the same thing. Um, so we were finance and economics double majors at, at, at uh, Xavier. And when asked, I used to tell girls this at parties, uh, you know, why finance? It's like, well, accounting's boring. Uh, you know, I don't want to be a bean counter my whole life. And then marketing, you know, there's no right answers. You know, everything is wishy washy, and it's tough. It's impossible to really figure out what what's what. So finance is kind of a weird mix of the two. You know, there are right ways to do things, but creative ways to get there. So uh, understanding equity, uh, understanding that, uh, knowing what the two are was cool, but real estate wasn't a thing. It's still not a thing at Xavier. We're trying to change that, but we did finance and then we both got into real estate finance related gigs right after we graduated. Gotcha. So you, you made a point, you said you've been spoiled because you haven't had to go through a, a market cycle and down cycle. So as you look at numbers that we've had in the last few months here and interest rates doubling, have you, has your business had to adjust at all? Have you made any pivots at this point? Or are you kind of just, are you kind of more of a wait and see? That's an awesome question. First and foremost, I feel like every business owner uh, is going to give a long-winded, you know, take a sip of bourbon and answer this question. We've made pivots, not in a bad way, not in the, you know, let's lay a bunch of people off way or anything like that. But, you know, uh, more or less just like, like our investors have, but we, we, we're not inept to take hints from the market. And that's what we've, we've seen. We've seen investors, again, for right, for better, for worse, we saw the same thing during COVID where people would just kind of you know, sit back a little bit and wait on things to happen. We're not really waiting on things to happen, but we are a little bit more focused on doing things the right way, cleaning up our balance sheets, making sure that we don't have anything outstanding that's going to come back and bite us. So Clay and I are kind of, uh, we started with Robert Kiyosaki and kind of graduated into some of these other finance minds. But we're big Dave Ramsey guys. So a nice part about my business is we don't have any debt um, at all on our building, on property we own, anything like that, which is kind of helpful when things start to turn a little bit. So the fact that interest rates doubled doesn't bother me. Um, I know I was left, uh, we left a lot of money on the table when interest rates were what, two and a half points or something back in a year ago. Um, yeah. But that's just how we work. So we've made adjustments, small adjustments in our marketing, pivoted out of uh, our Lexington market just to, to, to double down on the ones that are super working for the time being. Not to say it's going to go away, but you know, Lexington is 300,000 people and Cincinnati is 2 million. So 
little changes like that go a long way with just making the most of resources. So not backing away, not stepping down at all, just reallocating, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Plus University of Kentucky is awful. I'd pivot away from Lexington too. So. <laughs> and he's not biased at all, folks. Just check the no, state on his wall there. I'm, a, uh, I'm an IU guy through and through, but so from your perspective, Evan, where, where are you guys seeing opportunities in central Indiana? You can get as specific as you want. You don't have to give up any trade secrets if you don't want to, but where are you guys seeing, look, we think there's value here. And if you buy now, you're going to be really happy later. I wish I had a, one of my dispositions guys in here where personally, this is me saying this. I like single family. Um, I think TikTok has ruined a lot of lives, not lives, but uh, a lot of kind of focused a lot of people's minds to multifamily, multifamily, got to buy apartments, I'll raise them, syndicate, ah, all those other, you know, the, the, the real estate buzzwords. But man, like at the end of the day, you, get, you have the most exits from a single family. You can, you have a built-in end user that doesn't care about the numbers, admittedly. Joe and John uh, Smith are not going to care about the cash flow and the insurance and the flood and the taxes. They don't care. They're trying to live there, trying to raise a family there. Right. So um, I'll leave it at, at this without spoiling too much. I, I, I tell investors, I, can, I focus a lot on C-plus single-family uh, arenas. Things will lease for around a thousand bucks. I guess it's more B, so B minus, B, B minus neighborhoods. But at least around a thousand bucks where you can find some arbitrage and have an end user built in that is not going to care about the numbers if and when the world goes kaboom. It'll just help you sleep better at night. So you're not going to get rich overnight. It's not going to be a syndicate thing. You're not going to pull a, uh, you know, some $200,000 developer fee or something, but you're going to be uh, really happy with the product you own and in a neighborhood that's not going to go away. Right. That answer. Yeah. If you had to invest anywhere outside of Indianapolis, let's say like, you know, let's not get too far out. Let's not go down to Bloomington. Let's not go over to Muncie or anything like that. But where, where would you invest? Greenfield. Um, love Greenfield, high rents, lower prices. And again, it's often not for not thought top of people, people's mind for whatever reason, for, for whatever reason, Hancock County kind of gets a bad rap, but for anyone that, knows the the loop real well knows 465 it's 20 minutes uh, east of 465 so for you out-of-staters listening greenfield is its own entity it's its own city it's the county i think it's i think it's the county seat of hancock county it's got to be but it's a nice cool I, I call it a suburb though i'm sure it's not technically but it's often forgotten about because it doesn't have an indianapolis address it's not carmel it's not indianapolis it's not fishers it's not greenwood it's not avon brownsburg all these different places you hear about on bigger pockets it's forgotten about because it's just far enough away to be annoying but we have a handful of folks in my office here that live in greenfield and swear by it invest there personally it's not uncommon to get a nice little ranch for you know hundred thousand dollars you can lease for 1200 1300 bucks um, and Greenfield's not going anywhere. It's a county seat. So I really like Greenfield. If, it, if someone's pointing a gun at me and says you can't bet buy in and around Indy, absolutely love Greenfield. I love uh, Cicero, Arcadia, just the same way for the same reasons. It's far enough away to be forgotten about. Uh, Lebanon, I'm in the, I live in Eagle Creek. So for me, this is another 20 minute drive away from my house, right. Lebanon, uh, 20 minutes away, uh, county seat of Boone County. So uh, not going anywhere. You can buy a nice house there for a hundred thousand bucks. Wow. Okay, well, that's helpful. So, you guys own a but you guys still own all those rentals, or have you dispersed? Or have you? No, uh, that's a great question. Uh, Dave Ramsey got the best of me at one point. We were, well, we were, I guess this should back up. I, I didn't know TH at the time, so I was managing all these myself. And granted, a lot of them were not 
teenage quality. Let's put it that way. This was back in 2015 when things in Warren were still leasing for 600, 700 bucks. So we sold the vast majority. I think we were up to like 80 at one point. So we looked at each other and said, you know, this ain't worth it. That's not, this is, this is a lot of, occupies a lot of brain space. You know, it's just a massive headache to go and plunge toilets during a lunch break. I was working in commercial property tax, doing hotels and industrial buildings and Clay was servicing commercial debt for these big power centers up and uh, all across the Northern part of the, the country. Um, so we were working a lot, traveling a lot. And I said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to fix a doorbell at two in the morning or whatever the hell else it is. So we decided that in lieu of having all these different rentals, we were just going to sell uh, three quarters of them because we had them all levered at 75% loan to value roughly. So let's just sell, you know, 60 of these things and have 20 that are paid off uh, free and clear. So we took the proceeds from those, paid them off, had a big tax hit, didn't care. So we have, like, I think we're up to 20 or 25 units now. I haven't really grown our portfolio much when we started to get super serious about wholesaling. And uh, yeah, so we're down to 20, 25 units now and no debt. Gotcha. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, um, I wonder, I'll just put food for thought here. I wonder what you'll think about that in 20 years. If you're like, damn, we should have kept those, but you know, time will tell it's everyone does it differently. But so you've done a lot of deals, obviously. Can you give me some of your wackiest deals you've done? Like they just, you kind of still shake your head at, or you're at a bar telling a buddy, like, you'll never believe what happened with this deal. Um, I think we've all got them, but what are yours? I can go on and on. Um, the ones I've personally been involved with, I can, I'm, I'm happy to share, but I don't want to do the injustice. No, of talking absolutely. About. Right. Jared said to pull a gun on somebody one time. That wasn't fun. Um, we had a, uh, a guy try and drive through the house because he realized we, we sold it to just a handful of stupid things. But one that I was really involved with, uh, that was really just close to my heart. It's, 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 it's why I do what I do. It's, it's, it's fun. And I'll, I'm thrilled I got a chance to be in this woman's life because uh, it kind of encompasses the the bright side of what wholesale real estate is. It's really easy to get a bad rap doing what I do. It's really easy to get a bad rap doing yeah. what a pawn shop does. That's what we are. So we had a woman, uh, our old office building was on 46th Street and Shayland Avenue. So not an awesome part of town. Um, but when you're 24 and someone seller finances you a building for no money down, you don't care where it is. So that's what we did when we started our group. And so this is 2017, right before I got married, 2017. And we have these big fluorescent signs on our building. I mean, our building was huge. It's a big ranch that we converted into an office. We, we buy houses cash. You cannot miss it. It's absolutely impossible to miss. And this way, someone walks upstairs and knocks on our door and says, hey, do you guys buy houses? And I'll never forget, she was so serious when she said it to you. Do you guys buy houses? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we buy houses. Yeah. And uh, she turns out to be the sweetest woman of all time. And she said, hey, look, I got a weird situation here. And I didn't believe any of it at first. I don't have a, a cell phone. I don't have any cash. I don't have a job. I don't have a car. I have nothing. I'm in a, an abusive relationship. My boyfriend, husband is in, is in prison and he's getting out in a couple of days. Um, he's been sending me all types of messages via mail about what's going to happen when he gets out. It's a really, really tough situation. She's showing me these letters and I, I was kind of weirded out by it. She said, I don't have anything to my name shy of these properties that my parents left to me. No, this property when my, my parents left to me when uh, they passed away. So, and it was right, right down the way. She walked from her house to our office on uh, 46th and Elmhurst, I think was the, the, uh, the address. Anyway, uh, she said, look, you know, I need to sell this house. I need to get the hell out of Dodge. Can you help out? 
of course, come on in and take a seat in my office. You know, we're good, we're good at this. Thinking she was totally full of crap and uh, comes to find out she wasn't at all. So we had our, our friends at the title group run a really quick title search. I said, look, I can get you 15,000 bucks. Let's rock and roll. Let's get this thing done. She said, that's good and fine, but I don't have a bank account. Like, wouldn't that, you know, then what? I'm not going to get like physical money. At, at, what, I don't have a bank account. I got nothing, nothing. Uh, so we said, okay, let's stop everything we're doing. Let's go open up a bank account for this woman. Let's get her an ID. Let's open up a bank account. Let's let's do all these things. Let's get her a burner phone. And I even threw in a kind of a cherry on top. I said, look, at the time I was driving a 1998 Acura TL with almost 300,000 miles on it. Air conditioning didn't work. Windows didn't work. That was a fun drive to the office every morning uh, in the middle of summer. But Laura's her name. She was just bawling her eyes out when we told her what we could do for her. We'll get you a phone. We'll put you up in a hotel for a week after we close. We'll give you the keys to this car right now and let you get the hell out of Dodge. And she was just absolutely elated. She had her little boy with her. It gives me goosebumps telling the story. But uh, so we went down uh, to Monument on 19th in Alabama or Delaware, whatever it was when they were still there. Signed the paperwork and there's still a video floating around the interweb somewhere of this woman getting in my car that morning. I didn't talk to my, my now wife that I was getting rid of the car, but came home with no car and a house that we bought. Wow. So last I heard, she called from that burner phone that I saved in my number or my saver number on my phone. And she said, hey, I'm in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. My aunt lives out here. I just want you to let you let you know I'm safe, and I couldn't have done it without you. Wow. And uh, that was such a fucking cool story. Part of my language, but that's 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 why I do what I do. It's so much fun to see people go from zero to one. And you know, you hear realtors or whoever else talk about equity thieves and wholesalers are deeply regulated and whatever else. There's some truth to it. But uh, that yeah. was a perfect example of why I do what I do. Yeah, those are good stories. I mean, you know, people look at success a lot of different ways, and yeah, you may have made a little money on that deal, but the memory you have is is worth a lot more. And that's that's good stuff. So thanks for sharing that. You mentioned a couple of names here. The, the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad guy, you mentioned Dave Ramsey, but if you guys have built your business and you're learning and I mean, you went to school, obviously, uh, Xavier, but who do you guys learn from? Like what books do you, you have a staple of books that say, this is a, you know, almost kind of like my business Bible and this is a guy or a, a woman that I listen to regularly and learn from. I mean, who do you guys, I'm always interested. Who do, who do you learn from? Well, we've read two books as a leadership team. Um, so Clay and myself, we're not even on the leadership team, but we have uh, uh, someone that kind of runs our day to day. And we have four leaders in our group that um, acquisitions, dispositions, marketing, and then what we call business operations. So um, as a group, the seven of us have read uh, profit first. I forget the name of that guy that freaking wrote that thing. My God, I, that was forever ago. And obviously, we read Traction, which we were on our, our EOS system, which is all this is fan, for people watching this. What the hell is he talking about? Fancy business owner gobbledygook. But I highly encourage it because, again, at the, a, bit, a business is not uh, being a realtor. A business is not being an attorney. A business is having things or assets that work for you without opening your eyes at night, right? So these two books really pointed me in that direction with, you know, being, not, being a realtor is not an entrepreneur, being a uh, attorney is not an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is uh, closing your eyes, waking up and things happening behind your back to make you money. So uh, these two books pointed me in that direction, whether it's real estate you're buying or whether it's uh, ATM you're buying or whether it's something different, a vending machine you're buying to help me kind of get started on painting the picture and getting some traction, pun intended, on getting ready to rock and roll with those assets. Right. So traction was big for us. That was uh, a couple of years ago. And then profit first we read still a rich dad, poor dad savant. Um, that's really what kicked it off for me. And we, you can't see it. It's actually over in our tech closet. Now we used to be back here. We have a big box of books 
anytime an investor comes in our office and visits, we're like, look, if you're not registered, pour it out here and now you can. <laughs> so next time you're on 50 seconds or you're visiting Jeremy or myself, um, swing by, we got a copy of a book for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, I think you're totally right about, you don't, there's not a lot of great real estate books necessarily. This is how you build a real estate business. I mean, I don't even know if I'd want to read that, but you know, books like Traction and that you mentioned, we run EOS as well. Um, it's interesting the number of businesses that run it. There's so many people that I know that own businesses that that run it. And it's good stuff. I mean, we we really benefited from it. Our leadership team is, you know, we've all read it and we're we do we do our level tens every every week. And you know, we we try to follow the the, the framework because you get some return on that. There's no doubt about it. So Okay. Well, Evan, let's move over to this conference that you two have started. This is your, is it going to be your third or four? What, what, what number are we? So I guess, generally tell me about the out-of-state investor symposium and why you started that and, and what it's about and then how people can come this year if they want. Absolutely. And before I do, I, just, I have to go back to your previous point because I, I, I love, I like my biggest fear is talking above folks, whatever, when it comes to this stuff. So symposium is a big word. EOS is a big acronym. EOS um, is, is nothing short of finding small things you can do to make a big change. Mm -hmm. So we have, just for a quick example here for folks listening that are even remotely interested in this, every one of our folks has four things that they are responsible for doing every single day, down to how many times they pick up the phone, down to how many emails they send, down to how many texts they send, whatever, right? Small things to attribute big wins. So uh, if you're an investor, if you're looking at your portfolio or something like that, how many realtors did you talk to today? How many offers did you make? How many emails did you send? How many coffees did you set up? Whatever, things like that, that all were super small things that will end to or lead to big goals at the end of it. That's what led to uh, the symposium to kind of tie these two together. The symposium is a big word, a lot of syllables. It's a conference. We have a lot, just by nature, what we did getting started. So when Clay and I started Midwest Cash Offer, we found a lot of these opportunities. We found a lot of opportunities. We needed to raise a lot of capital to essentially start uh, the Burr method. We didn't know what the Burr method was when we first got started. Buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. For yeah. those of you uh, who are bigger pocket snobs. Um, we, it wasn't the Burr method when we started. It was the buy and then maybe find a bank and then maybe get it refinanced and have it sitting on your balance sheet at some point method. So we found a lot of out-of-state people to help raise its capital. So we found all these houses, found a lot of out-of-state people in bigger pockets. Some of these events that were getting thrown, these whimsy, twimsy, Mickey Mouse uh, meetups. Found a lot of out-of-state people and realized, wow, there's a pretty big demand that just goes untapped for out-of-state people. People, you know, live in Sacramento that got your on a quarter million bucks and don't know where to deploy it in the hillbilly Midwest. Pick me, pick me, come visit my office. So we had a handful of folks every month. I mean, we're talking, this is back years ago. Now it's almost every day where we've got folks visiting our office, coming in from Las Vegas, coming in from Seattle, coming in from Maui, coming from Miami, coming from Nashville. We're seeing a lot of people from Nashville and Denver now, hmm. Austin, you know, these really local markets or these tertiary sexy markets, if you will. Come in Andy and start talking about buying real estate. And we kind of looked at each other at one point. This is the most inefficient thing of all time. Like I was burning half days almost every day. Not that it was a bad thing, but you know, taking people to lunch and showing up neighborhoods and doing all this other stuff. And it's like, we just need to have one massive event to bring everyone into the same room and have them, you know, obviously learn about Indy and meet our vendors and all sorts of stuff. But also selfishly, it serves as a really neat opportunity for us to get up and talk on stage, but also a chance for us to be audited. You know, mm -hmm. for those of you in the room who've done business with us, like talk shit about me. If there's a reason to, to, to say it's not worth these, a chance to work with these guys, then now's a great opportunity to, to ruin me. 
So it's a self audit. Uh, it's a, it's a, a homecoming, if you will. It's a chance to learn about vendors, chance to understand the market, chance to see things in person, meet people in person, you name it. All the things that folks that live a thousand miles away would never have the opportunity to otherwise do. So this is our fourth year. Uh, even COVID uh, <laughs> couldn't stop us. We, we, we hosted an event, one of our bigger events in 2020. So 2019 was year one, 2020 last year, and now this year. Um, we're expecting a, a roughly the same size crowd. You know, again, we don't want to make it some Terry, God, I mean, those names, Sean Terry type thing, you know, pounding his chest, or whatever, his microphone. But, uh, you know, 100, 200 people. Uh, we're going to be in a big conference room in downtown Indianapolis, have some really smart people go up there and talk about things that I don't know at all. And happy to be able to start your real estate journey there, whether you're a brand new, I've never bought a property before, or we have a handful of folks here who will be in town who are multimillionaires building self-storage. They're coming to learn just the same way. So neat folks, awesome time. And if you just want to come and have a beer and exist in Indy, I think you'll really enjoy the town. Yeah. We'll put a link. I got, you guys have a registration still. Are you still accepting people for this year or are you? Yeah, we're accepting all the way up through uh, October 15. So you still got a chance to uh, to put your name in the hat for sure. Okay. And I'm assuming they could just Google Out-of-State Investor Symposium and find out. We'll, again, we'll put a link in our show notes here to have people register. But, you know, we're cool. going to be a part of it this year. We're excited about it. You know, it's 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 an interesting. You say you have clients coming all the time. We, we almost never have clients come here. I mean, it's it's almost like, you know, hey, I bought something. And I need you to do something with it, manage it, you know, lease it. And I don't want to be bothered with it. So it's interesting. We've not met 95% of our clients, like face-to-face. Had a lot of conversations with them, obviously. But we're excited about that because we're going to try to find out who's going to be here from our client list and, you know, meet them. And I know there's some people that are going to be here. And I'm excited because I just, you know, we know the names, we know their emails and but we just don't know their faces and and don't know their backstory necessarily in some cases some cases we do but it's just nice to have those conversations you know in, a, in, a, in an informal setting like that so works and I, I, I i'm i'm glad you are first and foremost and thanks for uh for hanging out i think it'll be a really neat thing and frankly i think I'm, i'd be shocked if our client list wasn't severely overlaps to the point where we'll right. laugh about it after it's all done. But um, I just had this conversation last year with a gentleman named Jared Shore, who uh, similarly, you know, knows the emails and he's learns about these people over, over, you know, the phone or whatever else, but the amount of business that he's been able to kind of cultivate simply just from knowing these people and meeting them face to face. We went golfing the other day and he was just dumbfounded by, you know, how, how many he's going to, he was able to go A to Z from some of these folks just by hanging out and meeting them. So that was our our uh, conjecture maybe a couple of years ago is look let's just let's just be the out of state guys right we're, we're not gonna we got nothing to sell at least not right away but we can do a lot of like indirect selling just by being a resource and being the go to guy on a handful of this stuff and it's worked like a charm mm-hmm. so now we're trusted now we know now we've got that kind of that that goodwill behind our name to where the manships are gonna do it the right way and treat me right as it happens. And uh, I think some of our sponsors started to see the same thing. So this isn't uh, talking with Jeremy or talking with Jared, but investors just the same way. I mean, like if I get nothing to buy from you, but I promise when I do, I'm gonna be the guy, I'm gonna treat you the right way. So right. Uh, again, that all starts from traction, it all starts from how many times you pick up the phone. And uh, if, there, if we've done one thing right in our entire existence here in our what, nine years or eight years, whatever it's been uh, of doing this, being just a, uh, Hey, look, I got nothing to sell you, but if you want to come hang out and, and, and talk about property tax, we're here on 52nd Street. Um, we, we, that's gone a long way for us. Yeah, for sure. So 
you've got an email list. I just want to touch on this briefly. And you send out a lot of emails and I get them every day, maybe, maybe a couple a day. And you do a good job. I mean, there's a lot of information, pictures, performance, all that good stuff. But you got to tell me about the creepy dude at the bottom, the gift that you guys got. And so <clears throat> I don't know if that's marketing genius or what, but I mean, we're talking about it. So I guess it's, I guess it's marketing genius. So how did you, who is that? His face is familiar. I guess I haven't done the legwork to find out who he is, but who is that guy? And was I'm assuming that was very intentional because you, you, you keep him on there. Yeah, I'm trying to cons- I'm trying to think about how how detailed I should go because this is going to be. It's funny for me because we were having a time with it when it happened. But so his name's Wally. We call him Wow Wally. And to this day, my the license plate on the back of my truck is W O O O O W. So for those of you listening at home, uh, give Wow Wally uh, a Google and he'll pop right up. Apparently, he's a Dutch singer, no longer with us. But this is a funny dude. And that was his thing. Wow, and he'd wink, and it was like this big thing or whatever. Kind of like Elvis was. Hey, baby. Right. Uh, that was this thing. It was wild in the weekend. Uh, anyway, uh, so we had a deal that we had found and we knew it was a hot deal. This was 2015 or 2016. It was 318 Orange. I remember the address in Bates Hendricks. And uh, we said, you know, I just want some way to get someone's attention. I mean, how many, especially it was back in 2016, I said this much less now, my God. But how many flyers come through some of these people's inboxes where they see this stuff, they go through it and they don't really care. You know, let's put something on there to really nab some attention. And so we threw Wally on there just for fun, just to see if people would stop what they're doing and say, what the hell? Like, is this a, is this a joke? And uh, we got more emails and replies back about that guy than we did about the deal. The property. I mean, yeah. dozens and dozens and dozens of people saying, what the hell? Did you, did you know this happened? Did you screw up? Whatever. And I realized, wow, we're, you know, we're onto something. So uh, ironically, you know, I have a twin brother. We do everything the same, but we thrive on being unique in our approach. And uh, that was just another kind of tribute to that so we've just left them in there we've had some copycats now with some folks in the industry that just throw some stuff on there just to let people slow down but it works and what we found is people don't want to be bored with freaking oh, buy this deal click here to get this address no like we're people we're not robots right like let's 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 and even even if it is something as small as just a joke or let's go get a beer at lunch like we're normal freaking people i like to i you know that that's that's who i am so that's who our group is, like to be different. And that's really where we got started on that whole wow Wally thing. But he's in every one of our deals and he will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think if, if you're not part of their email list, you should sign up just to see wow Wally. It's it's great. I mean, it's, I guess it, it's, I, I figured it would, I wasn't the only one that that, <laughs> that caught on to that. I think it's, so I guess it was marketing genius after all. So well, if, if it tells you anything, my, my father-in-law, who I think he still thinks I'm a realtor or something, I don't know if he fully understands what I do. But uh, I remember sending that, or my, I guess my girlfriend's father at the time, now my father-in-law, he sends me an email right after that. He's like, what are you doing? And that was all that it said. And I'm like, well, there's nothing that makes me feel better than my girlfriend's father sending me that message. I should print it out and put it on my wall. What are you doing? Um, but it worked. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a uh, rumor out there I've heard about you or maybe both of you that you're not fans of realtors. So. I'm a realtor. I'm assuming you guys are licensed in some capacity, but tell me why, what is your, and maybe it's overblown, but tell me, I just want to explore that a minute. What's your issue with realtors? I guess I should, uh, let's, let's clarify a couple of things before. I have no beef with realtors at all. Uh, I like to give them crap because it's fun. Same reason, you know, wholesalers get, get, get crap. If you can't, if you can't dish it, you can't take it. So wholesalers deserve it. A lot of realtors deserve it. We are licensed. I'm licensed personally in four states, Indy, Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, and then uh, we're managing brokers in uh, Indiana and Kentucky. Okay. Um, so 
again, takes one to know one. So this isn't coming from a place of uh, not, know, not knowing what I'm talking about. But I brokered my own deals. I've been involved. I've been a realtor forever. My, my, the crux of why people think this, and, and they have a right to, kind of a loudmouth about it, but I'm not, it's not hard to be a wholesaler. It's not hard to be a realtor. It's extremely hard to be a very good uh, at either one of those two things. So in my opinion, a lot of folks woke up on third base, myself included in some capacity with the market cycle. You know, oh, I quit my substitute teaching job and I'm a realtor and I'm making hundred grand a year, 200 grand a year, whatever, great. Like that's, that's not impressive to me. You're not, a, you know, you, that, good for you. But I feel that the way, in my opinion, this is all just unbridled me venting now, technology has come far enough to where real traditional realtors are no longer necessary. We have enough technology to where someone should be able to raise their hand and say, I'd like to make an offer on this house and someone should be able to accept it. That's what we do, okay? Where I think realtors get lost is thinking that they're necessary. And the second you think you're necessary or demand that you're necessary, you are no longer necessary. So that's where my thought process comes down to is frankly a lot of realtors day to day with coaching someone through how to make an offer or the tips and tricks how to get your offer accepted or here's how to ask for someone for seller concession points and whatever else that's a course and frankly it's a multi-million dollar opportunity i would highly encourage someone to make a course on how to coach a buyer through how to do those things and how to disrupt the industry overnight but the MLS, I will concede, we need the MLS, but right. first person to start a brokerage that flat fee will list it on the MLS and you do all the, the groundwork. And that course is a part of how to accept an offer, how to negotiate, how to make sure it's worthwhile, all those things. A traditional realtor is not necessary. You know, paying 6% is not necessary. So I think that, that we're headed for a disruption in that department. And um, that's where it kind of gets, well, the bad ships hate realtors. Well, no, they don't. I think they just, we just see it a different way where I think we're headed toward potential disruption with the way that things have been. The status quo is the status quo, but never for long. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's interesting points there. I think, you know, I NAR has an incredible lobbying um, ability. You know, they're a strong organization. That's the National Association of Realtors. And I think it'll be hard to completely displace them, but you're right. I mean, you know, becoming a realtor is pretty simple. There's not a lot to it. But there are some really good ones. I think I still find value in them. I think there's some realtors that have the ability to calm their clients when because it becomes it can become very emotional. And I think they need that third party sounding board a lot as a more of an advisory role. But you know, look, let's face it, a lot of people can do their own deals. A lot of people do do their own deals. So we'll see. I got a lot of good friends that are realtors and I generally like realtors, but uh had a lot of frustration with realtors too that don't do their job well. And there are a lot of those. It's like anything else, right? I mean, there's it is. top 1% yeah. do really well. They make a ton of money, but there's a whole lot of people that don't do well and end up exiting the system. So it is totally. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I get this is not the first time I've had this conversation, obviously. And I'm having, a, I'm meeting someone at noon to have a friendly discussion uh, at Upland. Feel free to come over to 49th and in, in, in college here to <laughs> partake. But uh, same story. I've been a realtor for years. I'd love to learn your take on it because I can't see it. And uh, this stemmed from a conversation about NAR, right? And that you're the second biggest lobbying group in the country shy of the National Rifle Association. Like they're not going anywhere. Realtors are not going anywhere. A disruption will happen, in my opinion. That's the whole point of it all. So I'm a loudmouth, say things intentionally to get people all good and pissed off because it's fun. But there are good realtors or a lot of bad realtors. Uh, same with any profession. So right. as long as me and mine are in that top 1%, I'm a happy guy. Right. All right. So you say you have conversations every day with people and 
and I'm sure a lot of those people are very experienced and don't necessarily need to be to know, you know, for you to give them advice, you might need to give them knowledge about where to invest and what title company to use or, you know, local or anything like that. But if you were, you know, had to start it, start things over again today, would you do things differently? What, what advice would you give the new real estate agent out there or not sorry, real estate agent, the new real estate investor out there gotcha. um, that, uh, you know, is just starting out just like, I'm not sure what to do with this. I've read these, I've read these books. I'm part of bigger pockets. I've done that, you know, but brass tacks it for me. Like what, what would you say? This is what you really should focus on. This is the, the advice that you give those new people that come into your office. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. And and my advice is never going to be that Gary Vee or Grant Cardone advice. Like, well, just be grateful. You know, like that's that's not practical. It's not tangible advice. So uh, my advice is uh, bifurcated with local people. If you're looking to get started in real estate investing, house hack. Buy a duplex, live on one side, lease out the other. That's that's a, a no-brainer. I mean, there are two ways to get rich, either make a lot of income or have no expenses. There are only so much you can do to combat expenses in your life. You can't live for free. That's outrageous. But you can mitigate it to a huge degree by house hacking and then work on making a bunch of money uh, on your income side. It's unlimited. So if you're local, if you're looking to get started in real estate investing, I don't care if you have a family or not, sacrifice for a year or two, move out a duplex, live on one side, lease out the other one, mitigate your housing costs to a huge degree. That's number one. Number two, if, if you are out of state or not capable of house hacking in the market uh, that you're looking to, to buy in, which would really need a strong argument, in my opinion, why it doesn't work. You got to start someplace. You got to start with some level of capital. So either uh, get that capital through buying really well in an equity type deal or um, do a flip on your first deal. There are a lot of folks that get started thinking they're going to get into it and buy a rental and get rich off a rental. And it's extremely difficult to get, have any level of wealth off $200 a month. Even if everything, if everything goes perfect for 10 years, I mean, that's what, 20 grand. So that's not that much money. So uh, I tell everyone that you need to find a way to get money in your pocket quickly. Get that first taste, if you will. Uh, hit double zero on roulette, and uh, I'm not saying get lucky, but you know, have that high of like, holy crap, there's something to this. So we have a lot of folks from out of state who co-wholesale with us. They'll send out some letters. They'll send out this and the other thing. They'll try and cold call and find a deal, bring it to us because no one has a bigger resource for buyers than we do. Our buyers win, they win, we win. It's a grand slam for them, and they get a first taste on how the whole system works. So whether it's a flip or a co-wholesale or something like that, that goes a long way. But uh, if you're local and you don't house hack, I get nothing for you. Yeah. I mean, living in the other side of a duplex is no different than living in a townhome, right? I mean, because you, you have people beside you. It's the same thing. It's just that you own it and control it. It's, um, it's identical to that. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to end it here with this. I got three questions for you. Just for people that are listening to this, they may be coming to the symposium that visit Indy once in a while or Maybe people are just looking to learn a little more about our city. What is your favorite restaurant to eat at in Indy? You can give me more than one, but what, like, what's your go-to with your wife date night? Where do you like to go? So our date night spot is Rick's Boatyard Cafe. I'm an Eagle Creek, so it's yeah. easy for me. It's right on the water, and people laugh when they hear this. Oh, it's on the water in Indy. Well, there is, but shockingly, there's a body of water, a couple uh, in Indy. Yeah. But Rick's is a neat spot. That's where we like to go. There's a place in Broad Ripple called Flatwater, super intimate place um, that we like to go to. That I'll give you the, oh, go to Harry and Izzy's, go to St. Elmo's. It's overrated in my opinion. It's a steak. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's not, I, so if you go there, great. You'd be not my jam. Right. So if you're looking for something maybe a little more practical, a little bit more, go and see a neighborhood, something a little bit different. Uh, you'll love Rick's. You'll love Wolfie's on Geist. Yeah. Um, you'll love uh, Flatwater and, and Broad Ripple. So you can 
park your car, get dropped off in Broad Ripple in an Uber and walk to a dozen different places that are neat and unique to Indy. So maybe that's my recommendation. Head up to Broad Ripple right by our office and tell the cabbie to kick you out and walk someplace. That's cool. Right. Favorite bar. I think I might know this. I think you might just close it. What's your favorite place to go and get a drink or just hang out? Well, I'm a beer snob. So for me, it's really easy. We're, we're at Upland three or four times a week. So Upland's my go-to, but it's right next to my office. not really my favorite. There are a million different places uh, near downtown that are cool. There's a place called Spoken Steel downtown, which if you're going to the symposium, it's two blocks away. Really, really cool place. place where we're actually having our cocktail reception on Friday. It's kind of like our arrival bit for uh, all the investors. Is at a place called Tavern on South. Not as high end as some of those other places, but it's super, super cool. Uh, it's right next to Luke's Oil Stadium. So I love going there. Then Harry and Izzy's is obviously one of the best little bars ever. It's huge, big U-shape, and they get every bourbon you can possibly imagine. So if you like uh, to go and grab a drink someplace, there's no shortage of it uh, in and around where we're going to be for the symposium. And then anywhere on Mass Ave, you'll have a, a million different places. If you're in yeah. Broad Ripple or catch yourself at Jeremy or I's office, uh, we'll take you to Upland any whole time. You know, St. Elmo's, it's it's a it's an iconic place. I lo- I like I go there like once a year. Like I like going around the holidays. It's just kind of a fun place with the Christmas lights up and stuff. It, it really is, yeah. Yeah, if you like wine, it is the deepest wine list in the city. I think by far they get the best allocation from the distributors and it's it's a crazy, crazy wine list. But anyway, and then last question, if you could, you live on the West side, but if you could live anywhere in the city and price was not a concern, where would it be? Meridian Kessler and it's not close. Um, that's the other only other place that we looked. We were shopping around. For those of you not familiar with Meridian Kessler, think 49th Street and Meridian. Mm-hmm. Um, Meridian Street is the largest north-south parallel that we have in the city. And it, I don't know where it even ends up, northern Michigan someplace and goes all the way down south to something else. But Meridian Street's huge. It goes right through the circle downtown. But if you go north five miles, you are on this really historic, cool row of huge old houses. I guess they're not Victorian, but they're huge, 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 amazing architecture, massive in space, or immaculately well taken care of. And uh, some of the city's hoity-toity folks, the governor's mansion's there, some real real estate developers are there, business owners, doctors, attorneys, you name it. So that's a really cool place to exist. Um, it's not too far from our office. We're just on the hillbilly outskirts of it, I guess, over here. But Meridian Kessler is a tremendous opportunity for homeowners here in Indy and not a place where one would traditionally <laughs> invest. Right. You know, our office is technically in Meridian Kessler because we are on the west side of the Monon and... That's right. Yes. Yeah, so you guys Meridian. qualify and I don't, man. See? Yeah. We're part of the Meridian Kessler Neighborhood Association. And I will tell you, that is a, <laughs> as a business owner surrounded by residential, right. it wasn't fun um, going through those. <laughs> that's funny. But well, no, congratulations, Jeremy. There you go. Yeah. It's a, it's a great neighbor. It's built in the twenties. You know, it, it's one of those, it was the suburbs of downtown at one point, you know, where a lot of rich people, they kind of abandoned kind of where I live now and Heron Morton. Um, they all abandoned that back in, you know, in the twenties, because, because the, the story was pollution was cars were, you know, <laughs> were a lot of environmental regulations back there. So the city became a very dirty, nasty place to live and people just moved to the suburbs. And that's where a lot of money in the teens and twenties came up to Meridian Kessler and built these gorgeous homes. And it is, it's a gorgeous place. If you think of a Norman Rockwell painting at, you know, 52nd in New Jersey or Del, you know, those are just beautiful streets through there. And, it's a great place. We considered it too. We did. We, we love it. I, I can walk to work if I wanted to, but we chose a different spot for some different reasons, but you can't go wrong with Meridian Kessler. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful place to live. 
I told my wife that uh, if we lived in Meridian Kessler, there would quite literally, she complains right now that you know, there's no separation between work and home. And, you know, that's not intentional. You, I'm sure you get a little bit of the same behalf, but, yeah. you know, we set it up to where, you know, if there's no separation between work and home, you know, that's, that's a true definition of one's love for just waking up in the morning. You know, what I do for fun and what I do for money is the same. That's not to say I've got my, constantly got my phone on me, but, you know, that's, that's what we agreed to. And she's like, well, if we lived in Meridian Kessler, you could walk to work. And then we're really, really flirting with you just constantly wearing that real estate cap instead of the dad cap, husband cap. So we're going to go ahead and look in this Eagle Creek place, which is about a half hour away from here. So uh, I was violently shoved into <laughs> the West side. We love it, but obviously Meridian Kessler, if you're looking to live there, rock on. If you're looking to invest there, best of luck. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, Evan, thanks for joining me today. It's been great chatting with you. If anyone wants to connect with you guys, what's the best way to do that? Easy as pie, man. If you're local, first off, uh, 52nd Street and Evanston Avenue, um, come hang out any old time. We've got a million different reasons, resources we can show you here in the office. If you're not here, if you're not local, hop on our website, mainstaypropertygroup.com. You can schedule a call with uh, me or any of our staff uh, to learn more about kind of what we do and how we can help. That has details on the symposium on it as well, as well as uh, in a myriad of different projects we've done, people we've helped, so on and so forth. So if you want to learn more about me or a way to chat, uh, mainstayproperty.com is the best way to do it. Great. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate the I appreciate the conversation, getting to know you a little better and look forward to seeing you down at the symposium. That's in November, right? First week in November, is that right? That's right. Thanks for the shout out. November 4th through November 6th. That's Friday through Sunday. We're going to have a little tent party out in front of our office on that Friday, kind of welcoming everybody. And then we have cocktail reception that Friday. And then we'll kind of do the day event Saturday, day event Sunday, and let everybody go home after that. So it's a really neat weekend. And it's not one of those boring, here's a pencil, here's a had take notes convention, uh, more of a homecoming and a chance to learn uh, along uh, some really smart people at the same time. So November 4th to November 6th. See you there, Jeremy. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, appreciate Well, we hope everyone has picked up some information that'll help them in their real estate investing. We'll be back next month with another podcast. In the meantime, we encourage you to share this podcast with your investing friends, leave us a review and don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and please stay invested in your investment.